Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne you found the dogs john you found the dogs he found the dogs and all together they worked a young team to the top and now a 24th stanley cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in montreal the canadians win the stanley cup brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, driven to be different. LaBee.tv, it's going to be sick. Matt O'Han with you. It is the sick podcast. It is 10.01 Eastern Time in Montreal on this Friday evening. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Before we begin, the sick podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. They are a full leading uh, logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. We're also brought to you by La Bite at TB. Brewed in Quebec and winner of a dozen international awards, La Bite at TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bite at TB, embrace your true nature. And by major poker festivals are back at playground the march million features 10 ring events and a million dollars in guaranteed prize pools including a four hundred thousand dollar guaranteed main event play in playgrounds march madness poker series from march 23rd to april 2nd visit playground.ca for details speaking of march um Next week already, March Madness has creeped up on us. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, I won't be on the podcast next Friday uh, to talk about it with you. The reason for that being is because I will actually be at two of the March Madness games in Albany, New York. I have a friend of mine, shout out Russell Schwartz. Uh, it's his bachelor party. So we're heading over to Albany to watch a couple of March Madness games next Friday, which should be a lot, a lot of fun. I'm uh, We're actually going to find out on Sunday who we're seeing. So we're, we're 
were hoping for that 10 for that 12-5 matchup so we could just throw all our money on the 12 seed and hope that's the 12 that wins that year because every year it seems like a 12 beats a 5. Uh anyway, some housekeeping to do uh before we introduce our guests. No, I'm sorry. I don't have the answer to uh I think it was Gino who asked the question yesterday about LTIR that there's just too much mathematics and legal stuff involved. I, I don't have the answer. I'm sorry. Uh, I did my research. I couldn't find anything. And uh, that's that. So um, now that that's out of the way, um, you know what? Let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. Uh, our first guest, you know him from Donne Coulis, Charles Alexandre Brisebois. Charles Alexis. Sorry. Not Alexandre. <laughs> confused there for a exactly. second shall alexi please boy sorry about that uh how we do it <laughs> it's good it's going great you can just call me charles everyone calls me charles yeah, exactly. so there's no confusion there <laughs> all right perfect and you know him from his work on eyes on the prize as well as the locked on canadians podcast a seems like a semi semi both of you guys are semi regulars at this point on the friday night edition of the sick podcast mr scott matla scott how we doing yeah. I am doing fantastically. It's a snowy but good Friday night here in Buffalo. So happy to be on once again. Yeah. So we, you know what? In Montreal, uh, we haven't gotten snow in a little bit, and I want to cross my fingers because every time, you know, and I think Shal, you you're on the same train. You know, we li- we've. I mean, I've lived here my whole life, and I always mm-hmm. fall into the trap. And I swore to myself this is the first year it won't happen. Where like. You get a couple days where it's like one or two degrees. There's no snow. It starts to melt a little. And mm-hmm. then you're like, ah, oh, maybe it's over. And then it's just like mid-April. You're going to get smacked with a 30-centimeter bomb. Yeah. It, it Absolutely. happens every year. <laughs> Absolutely. No, go ahead. And I, I don't know if you have that expression in English, but in French, we say, en avril, ne te découvre pas d'un fil, which means keep your coat on because there's going to be a snowfall somewhere in April. So, you know, that, that there's that tradition that, of course, it's going to be respected in a few weeks. Of course. We call it fool spring uh, in Western New York, where you yeah. have that week where in, you know, Fahrenheit, it's 65 degrees. You kind of pack away some of the sweaters and then you get up one morning to go outside and your car is completely buried and you go, well, <laughs> that'll teach me. And then you got to dig everything out and everyone's upset and grumpy. And then the next week after that, it goes back to being actually spring outside. So you got to redo everything you just did. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're in for currently here. I'm fingers crossed that this is <laughs> the last front that we deal with this year. And I know it's not going to be, but I'm hoping and praying at this point. Yeah. You, you know, know, it's Scott, funny. Scott, I, I have a question for, I have a question for you. You're, you're in Buffalo. One of my dream is to watch uh, a Bills game during like a big storm. Did you, did you enjoy that? Because <laughs> I, I want to live that, you, you know, not when you, when it's a surprise, but you know about it and you just, put on snow pants and you put on uh, everything you, you need to have. Did you enjoy that once in your life or not? So it's funny you say that is the game that got rescheduled for Thanksgiving week got moved because there was too much snow. They could not get into the stadium and they were away during the Christmas snowstorm where everything got shut down. But I went to the playoff game against the Bengals and it started snowing and it did not stop. It's one of those moments that you got to experience it. It was one of the coolest things. The Bills got their ass kicked, mind you, in that game. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, they did. Hell yeah, they did. (laughs) The actual, like, the aesthetic of being in that stadium when the snow is falling at just the right amount. It's the big, fat snowflakes, and it's sun setting. It's perfect. It is is 
Had they won, it'd be even more fun. I cannot recommend it enough. I recommend just going to a game for the hell of it anyways, but that was a completely different experience. Uh, Knowing people here, they've gone to the games where like LaShawn McCoy is disappearing in snowbanks. Oh, yeah. And they're like, people doing the LeBron James are just throwing snow everywhere. And they said it was the most fun they've ever had. So I'll take mm-hmm. their word for it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, so a couple things there. Uh, there. There is something to be said about like, there, you could feel and you could almost feel it because you could tell about like, even if you're at the game, you could tell about like the production that the, the in-game uh, staff are doing and that like how cool it's going to look on TV. There's like cer- a certain extra buzz when something like that happens, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about fools, fools, uh, spring. Okay. This happened to be a couple, a couple weeks ago. Don't worry, everyone. We're going to get to the hockey talk. We got plenty of time for that, but right now we're in weather talk. Um, welcome to the weather podcast. Um, so, um, there was, it was a couple of years ago. I want to say it's pre COVID now. So we'll call it 29, April, 2019. I'm going to a game uh, to a Canadians game. And I parked downtown outside. Um, and again, when I show up to this game, streets clear bone dry. And like, you know, in the forecast, it says like, ah, oh, it's going to snow, but I'm like, ah, oh, there's no way. There's no chance. It's plus four right now. The, the streets are dry. There's not, there's not a centimeter of snow on the ground. It's over They're They're, they're screwing with us. The, the the game lasts. I walk in right at right at puck drop. So ba- so the game lasts two hours and thirty minutes. I step outside. I swear, my car was covered in three <laughs> feet of snow. I had never seen anything like that in my life. I was like, "There's no way. There's just no chance that this happened." I get home. Obviously, the the garage isn't uh, isn't shoveled. I get stuck. The one place I get stuck, smooth drive home. The one place I get stuck, right at the entrance of the garage. And then two nice people helped me out. And then I promised I would help them out of their spot when I would park my car. Park my car two seconds later. Step outside to go help them. I'm ready. I'm pumped up. Gone. I was like, wow, these people are like my guardian angels. Like, what? (laughs) Did this even actually happen? What is happening here? Um (laughs) Anyways, uh, speaking of the Canadians, because that game was against the Chicago Blackhawks. So uh, speaking of the Blackhawks, uh, they did gain a point in the standings. Uh, They were up 2-0 on the Panthers about midway through the third period and then uh, blew the lead, actually actually fell behind by a goal, and then Chicago tied it up, and then they lost in overtime for those keeping track of the tank standings. Um, So the Canadians are now only eight points Ahead or behind of Chicago, depending on how you're looking at it. I will never get the terminology right when looking at reverse standings. Um, but uh, let's talk about those Canadians because they picked up a point last night. And that's the type of game where I, you know, the later you get into the season and with the amount of bodies that's out, that are out, you know, you're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, if you're on the tank train, okay, this is great. This is the time where, you know, it's post-trade deadline, reality sets in, you know, and the teams that they're playing, they're playing against great teams in the Carolina Hurricanes, New York Rangers. Tomorrow they got the Devils. You would think (laughs) that reality sets in. These teams have just, you know, put the finishing touches on their rosters. They're ready to go, and they're going to take the Canadians to the cleaners. Well, no, 
it didn't happen. So uh, let's let's start with Tuesday against the Hurricanes. That was a that was a great game. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to be on the tank train when you see games like that. Don't you guys find? I and this is a trend that'll go between both of these games. The fourth line of Chris Tierney, Michael Pozzetta, and Alex Belzeal are catching a lot of people off guard. They are not the most skilled. They are not the best line on this team, but they are playing like their careers depend upon it, and they probably are at this point. (laughs) Alex Belzeal is on a three-game goal streak right now. At the NHL level, at the AHL level, that's cool. That's great. They're all playing their best hockey, and it's not flashy. It's all little simple things. And the Canadians, they are not better than the Hurricanes. They are not better than the Rangers. They they were not better than Vegas. But they're playing with effort that teams aren't always prepared for. They think they're going to go in. The Canadians, they have now 58 points this season. They're playing with half an AHL roster. All their rookies are injured. There's no Cole Caulfield. There's no this. There's no that. And either they're getting taken so lightly or Martin St. Louis is actually getting pretty good at this whole coaching thing. And they're finding things that work. And yeah, eventually they'll run cold or whatever. But against Carolina, they came out in the first period. They were better than Carolina. And then Carolina obviously does what they do. But to get to overtime, to get to the shootout, and then do that again against the Rangers is impressive for a roster that is miss- that has one legitimate NHL center on it. And then Jonathan Drouin playing center and Chris Tierney playing center. It's to get where they're doing that is an impressive feat. Yeah, they're picking up points here and there, but it's one point. They're not getting that second point. They're two points out of the top five odds for the lottery right now. And Arizona's schedule is the 21st strongest for the rest of the year. The Canadians is the third most difficult. I'll take four three games if they play like they have been with effort and heart, and they're not just folding in on themselves. That's that make the games watchable. And that's what they're doing, especially against Carolina and New York, who are, like I said, are loaded up for the playoffs at this point. And here's the thing you have to, to wonder, of course, you want to finish um, uh, to, to be in, the, in a good position to draft a guy like Connor Bedard, obviously, but the, 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 the culture that the team is trying to, uh, to take, it's important too. And you know, that those guys are really trying and, of course, you would like to have a Conor Bedard, but you also want to have uh, young defensemen who are get, who are not giving up in games. And I remember uh, a few days ago when Rafael Arvepinal said, there are no teams in the NHL who plays harder than us, who works harder than us. And I think it's true because the the the, the way they played against Carolina, the, the way they, they, they played yesterday, it's really impressive to see um, that, that, that the Rangers, that the Hurricanes uh, have to go through uh, to shut out to, to win against the, the, the Canadians because it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be Alex Belzil who is on a three, three game streaks <laughs> um, with goals. It's, it's not normal for the Canadians and it's, you know, it's not good for Tankathon, obviously, but it, it's good to watch for the fans because let's remember last year um, before Dominique Cham was fired, it was really, really, really hard to watch those games and the guys were not evolving during the game. So right now we can see a progression. We can see that there are standards in Montreal once again. And right now I think it's it's a great news. And yeah, if they pick up a point here and there because uh, they, they push a game in overtime, okay, it's okay. You you you, you just need to take it. Well, so here here's my thing, because Scott, you brought up this point in that is it that 
you know, that are teams taking the Canadians lightly or is Martin St. Louis getting good at this whole coaching thing? And I have a strong stance that it's the latter of the two because, <laughs> you know, like teams like Carolina who like Rod Brindamore has been there for what seems like a bu- like forever at this point. It's not forever, but it feels <laughs> like it. And, you know, you look at a team like the Rangers, these guys, like their coaching staff, they've been there. You know, like they know what it is to be in the playoffs and they know what it is to not take opponents lightly. And, you know, they have, you know, word goes around, word travels around the NHL and, you know, they have scouting teams that, that, you know, they, they have video on the Canadians. They got to know what this team is going to bring. And it may be a case of, you know, uh, it's just a, you know, it's a it's a cold Thursday night in Montreal. It's a cold Tuesday night in Montreal. Like, let's just get in, get out. That could be the case, but the fact is, when the game starts, you know, you're you're turning, you're flicking a switch as an athlete, and you're going to go out there and you're going to try to win. So where I where I stand is that Martin Saint Louis is getting very good at this thing, and I mean, it's easy. Here's the thing, though. That that you know, we talked about it a little bit last night, Tony and I, was that it's easy to do this now, because frankly, you could try whatever the hell you want. You know, like if the season's on the line, like last night, I doubt no matter how hard they worked, I doubt we're seeing you know Rem Pitlick and Alex Belzil in the shootout. If you need that extra point really badly, that yeah. that's just the matter. That's just the, the the state of affairs right now. That they could do basically anything, and it's nice to reward hard work, and it's nice to be throwing flowers for hard work. But there will come a point in time where, you know, they're going to have to compete and compete for you know actual tangible achievements in playoff spots and whatnot. My question is, it may be too early to ask this question, but since we're talking about continuity and building a culture, is Martin St. Louis going to be that guy that can squeeze that extra juice out of all those guys? Like Nick Suzuki, he's been playing great. And I don't care what anyone says about his slump in the middle of the season. I think he's been playing great. He's been consistent all year in that he's a stabilizing force. Whenever he's on the ice, he always does the responsible thing on the offensive and defensive side of the ice. And let's call him, you know, a 70-point player with a healthy Cole Caulfield. Can he squeeze an extra 10 points out of him? Because, you know, these guys are very young. You, the progression, you'd have to expect that they're going to get better. Is he, can he get that extra juice or is he just a good motivator? That's my apprehension. I think the biggest thing is here is that it's hard to know because the team last year, they sold off everything, you know, outside of Suzuki and Caulfield that wasn't nailed down. Okay, he got him over the finish line. They looked somewhat respectable getting there. This year, he got Kirby Doc was on pace for a career year, now out indefinitely. Cole Caulfield pacing for 40 goals out indefinitely. Nick Suzuki on pace for another strong year there. Even Josh Anderson and like Mike Hoffman have come on as of late to be better. He's getting a lot out of that fourth line there. And yes, some of that is motivation. But the way that he coaches is that it's for effort and for trying things. He's not going to punish guys for trying to make plays. And that's what you need in a modern era, especially with these young guys who have the skill to do that. I don't know what Martin St. Louis ceiling is as a coach. I'm one happy they just hired someone who is not a retread in this because Hmm. we've seen it. It doesn't work. And it's very boring. 
They tried something new. And are the Canadians the best statistical team in the NHL? No. But look at what their lineup looks like on a given night here. They did it with all these young guys. And you're seeing forward steps here. And that's why even if they don't get that top pick, you've seen progress from guys who are going to be your pillars there that make me think Martin St. Louis and the player development staff when there's more players coming in, when your Emil Heinemans are coming in who need polishing to their game, there's Sean Farrells, there are Logan Mayus who need polishing to their game to take that next step. They have the skills to do that. And it's not just Martin St. Louis. I think he's going to be a big piece of that, putting them in the right spots but also the other staff around them to get the most out of these guys and everything. If it goes to plan, they are going to make that next step. I don't know how soon that big jump is from we're fringe playoff team, kind of like the Sabres are now to we are a legitimate contender. You have to take us seriously, but if the progress keeps building like it has, it can't be so far off at this point. And I think Martin St. Louis does deserve his flowers for that. He's making, you know, chicken salad out of chicken crap most nights here. And it's a commendable work for a guy who was coaching under like 13 hockey in Vermont. Like, and now he's coaching this Canadian team. They're not good, but they're not supposed to be. And he's still getting this effort and intensity out of them. And that says a lot about how players want to play for this coach. And you can tell that in the way they play too. And, you know, I remember a sentence that uh, Martin Saint-Louis said the, the first day that he was here. He said, I told my players there's no one in that room that I can't relate because I was a guy who was on the fourth line and on the verge of being sent down. I was on a third line. I was on a top six. I was an all-star. And I think you, you can apply that to the fact that he played for very bad teams when he arrived in Tampa Bay. It was not a good team. And he played for a Stanley Cup. So he knows how to, 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 to react when the team is bad. You know, uh, he knows how to react, how the team is good. And he made a Stanley Cup apparition um, with the New York Rangers too a few years ago. So he, he knows how to connect with his player on that way. And you also talked about the fact that there are other guys too. You, you, we can uh, shed some light on a guy like Stefan Robida, who has a lot of rookies on his, on his hand every day. And he still managed to to make sure that the, the defensive core is quite good. Of course, there are guys like uh, David Savard and Mike Madison who helps, but clearly the young guys are here to stay and they're very good at, the, at what they're doing. You can talk about the development uh, core. There, there are a lot of, uh, of good things in Montreal and I think Martin Saint-Louis, he, he, he has the, the, the chance to prove that he can be that guy for the next step and we, we don't know what it's going to look like because he never coached in that situation, but let's see. That's the only thing we can do. So uh, I, I, I'm just I know it's a let's see, but we're we're in the business of overreacting and, and making predictions, <laughs> um, you know, like but I just want it, to it's something I'm so intrigued by because, you know, like you see the Bruins forever, you know, who who was it there? It was uh, there was Claude Julien. Then I believe there wasn't a buffer between Claude Julien and Bruce Cassidy. And then exactly. Bruce Cassidy did a fantastic job, but then he just couldn't get him over that hump. And now you, you're looking at them with Jim Montgomery and they look like an unstoppable force that is, you know, going to knife through the, the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and win the cup. So it, it's, it's just, it's interesting to me because, you know, like just because you're a good coach it, it, or just because, you know, you know, that you could be a good coach, but just not be the guy. You know, like you're, it's just not the right 
you know, there because there's growing to do everywhere. So it's just it's an interesting thing to look moving forward. And I guess uh, I guess it'll bring me to, you know, like what what are you guys expecting? I know there's a lot to happen, but let's say all things being equal, you know, like Canadians get uh, are picking outside of the top five as they're supposed to be. Uh, no real big splashes in free agency, which we, we, we will touch on something, uh, about free agency very, very soon. You know, like what's, what does next season look like? Like is next season where it's like, okay, we need to start, you know, going from being a 60 point team to a 70, 80 point team, or is it, you know, we're still in the midst of clearing up our the mess of a, of a contract situation that the Canadians are in. And, you know, we're going to let this ride and basically have a repeat of this season. I think for the Canadians, I look at the Sabres this year. Their young talent has come to roost a little bit. Darlene is having a truly breakout season here. You're getting good efforts from your Jack Quinns and your Peyton Krebs, and you've got more picks coming in here. They're just missing some of those polished pieces. They're waiting on, I assume, Devin Levi to be that next guy up there in goal to help Mm -hmm. get them there. But they're pacing and pushing for a playoff spot there. I'm not saying the Canadians are going to be that, like, last team eliminated, like, two days from the end of the year. But they're going to be that, you know, 13, 14, 15 should be what your goal is. If everyone is healthy, God forbid, you have Caulfield, you have Doc, you have Armia will be back at this point. You have whoever they draft potentially in the top five this year. You're adding more prospects to that, and you're letting some graduate from the rocket, like Jesse Alonen and Rafael Harvey-Pinard are coming up to this team here, and you're restocking there. Your goal should be you want to make a, a, a good run. You want to finish closer to 500 than below it. You know, you want to have a winning record next year and then be, we want to be a playoff team the year after that. You, I think you're at least two years away from being a playoff team. And at the same time, we're going to let more of these prospects develop in the AHL because then these veterans, the Josh Andersons, the Brendan Gallagher's, the Joel Edmondson's, the David Savard's, their contracts are going to run out. They're going to be traded. And then your next guy, your young guys step up in there and you follow the Tampa Bay system where you're constantly replenishing mm. with your own assets. You're not trading away picks all the time until you're a hundred percent sure next year, they want to be, you know, above 500. They want a winning record next year. Probably not going to be a playoff team unless something crazy happens, which who knows stranger things have happened. And then the year after that, they should definitely be a playoff team at that point in the rebuild, assuming everything goes to plan here and they don't, completely botch this upcoming NHL draft. The way I see it, uh, I always thought because of the uh, of the contracts in Montreal, because of the 2023 draft, which is going to be really insane, I have the feeling that uh, Gordon and Hughes always wanted to 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 go down from when they arrived and the, the end of the year is going to be the, the end of the barrel. Mm. And after that, I don't know how, how fast they're going to go up, but I have the feeling that they want to improve. I'm not sure that during the offseason, they're going to have a lot of moves that uh, I absolutely want to take a bad contract because I want a first pick. Maybe they're just going to try to win a little bit more and rely on the fact that all of the kids that we were talking about who are on their first year now, next year, they're going to have a little bit more experience. They're going to have 82 more games, not 82 because they're all injured, but they're all going to have a little bit more games behind their belt. 
to 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 make sure to to try to improve and to try to maybe reach that that 500 mark or whatever the the, the expectations are going to be but i feel that martin saint louis when going to ask the question in uh, in september or, or october is going to say i don't have an expectation set uh, clearly i just want to improve i think he's going to give the same answer but probably that it is in 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 his head the the expectations are going to be higher because of the experience and because of the culture that that is set in montreal right now I, I think uh, that's a that's a good point, and you know I think the thing that always sticks out in my head, and, and again I like you could ask all my friends, I'm like the number one hater of the what if game, especially but mostly when it's on the winning side of things. So you know like what if uh, you know Joseph Osai doesn't hit Patrick Mahomes when he's already out of bounds and you know what <laughs> happens then you know do the, are the Chiefs still Super Bowl chat that's the what that's the one side of what ifs I don't like here's the interesting side of what ifs what if you know after the Canadians run to the Stanley Cup final you know they you know Mark Bergevin you know let's let's call all things being equal right after that Stanley Cup run Mark Bergevin gets fired And Dominic Ducharme gets fired. So everything that happens happened, but at a six months before it did kind of thing. And Martin St. Louis is brought in right at the beginning. He's there for training camp of uh, last year or of last year. And Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon are in for, are in for as of training camp for last year. You know, that means he has two full seasons under his belt and two full seasons of, okay, we're going to lose. And that's just what it's going to be, you know, and everyone's okay with it. Like, is there going to be with, with what they're doing right now, because here, here's, here's where it connects to the right now is like, is what they're doing right now kind of accelerating, you know, expectations a little bit. I, I feel like a little bit of it is because, you know, you would say, cause like we're, 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 we're throwing his, fl- we're throwing flowers, Martin St. Louis way and de- deservedly. So I might, I add that he's been able to get all of this out of, you know, for the lack of a better term and with all due respect, AHL play an AHL roster, you know, he's able to make them compete like this. So like logic would dictate that he's able to get NHL, an NHL, an average NHL roster, to, you know, take that a step further. So if like, if everyone's healthy, I don't know. I feel like expectations are being accelerated a little bit. And I feel like, you know, people need to pump the brakes on like, maybe, you know, like the Canadians are going to be not a very good team again next year. Like that's where I'm leaning towards because again, it's like, like you said, Scott, they're going to be, they're going to be aiming to be over 500, probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, But I don't know, like, I, I feel like, you know, we saw a fully healthy team this year at one point, you know, as crazy as that sounds because of all the injuries, like are, are, are expectations being accelerated too much? I think they're right in line. And to answer your what if question, if Dominique Ducharme is fired, I don't think we see Cole Caulfield's slump. That was as bad as it was. And that whole weird sending him down to the AHL, then immediately recalling him kind of nonsense that happened here. And if he goes off in the way that we've seen that he's able to, Martin St. Louis just basically went, you've got this. And then Cole Caulfield just decided to become one of the best five on five goal scorers in the NHL before he got injured, even while playing injured. I don't think they're going to finish in the bottom three just because Caulfield and Suzuki would not allow that. 
And I think they would still be bad, mind you, assuming that all the other moves still happen. They still sign David Savard. They still go out and get Mike Hoffman. And all these things happen. Carey Price is not coming back. Shea Weber is not coming back. If they are out of the equation still, they're still not going to be a good team because the replacements they brought in for these guys, all due respect to David Savard, who is trying his ass off every single night. Mm. They still are not an adequate replacement for what was lost. You cannot replace, you know, a guy like Thomas Tatar with Mike Hoffman. They are not the same type of player. Tyler Toffoli would potentially still be here maybe depending on how their season was going and does he kind of balance out the lineup a little bit possibly I think that if Martin St. Louis had been brought in I also don't think they would have brought him and they probably would have gone the retread route if they were hiring going into training camp I think we're right about where expectations should be Martin St. Louis does have work to do there's some line matching things that just little bits that a young learning coach learns through experience you don't just one day wake up and go i am now scotty bowman i am the best coach in the nhl (laughs) decades and thousands of games of coaching experience gets you there i think he's learning a lot of these and harshly mind you with all the young guys in this i think expectations are right about where they are we're not looking at the team going right now and going well when caulfield gets healthy and doc gets healthy and jack guy is back and everyone is healthy on defense that are Stanley Cup contender. No, they're a team with a lot of promise that has to work to get there, and that includes the coaching staff who are also going through their growing pains. I think the level of expectation for Martin St. Louis is right where it needs to be. He's being held accountable for what he does wrong, but he's being given his flowers when he's getting things right, and we're starting to see him figure out more the nuances more and more and more. He's trusting guys who are having good games, even if it's the fourth Mm. line. He's letting his workhorses work. Mike Matt's simply 32 minutes against the Rangers. That's almost unheard of in the modern NHL outside of playoff games. He's getting the little things right. Now we just got to get them right more and more consistently. And I think that's where we'll start seeing the expectations grow from there even more. It, it would be, spe- uh, the thing about the expectations is you, you have to take into effect that everything kind of goes well. And you see in a season that everything is not going well. And especially in Montreal, I don't know why the guys are always injured more than everyone everywhere else. But clearly it's the case and it's going to need to be addressed. Because if there are no changes on that front during the summer, we're going to have to assume that next year a lot of guys are going to get injured. And that may derail the plan because if we, if we keep playing the what if, what if Cole Caulfield is still here? What if Arbor Jacka is still here? Mm-hmm. What if all of those guys, what if Sean Monan misses the two weeks he was supposed to miss, not almost the entire season? So probably it's, it would have changed a lot of things, but I would really be curious to see um, that team all healthy right now, especially on um, because of the effect it, it would have on Nick Suzuki, because right now he is the only player who played every game And rightfully so, you said a few minutes ago, he's having a good season. And you're right. He's just alone. Because when you see a guy like Christian Varag going down, you see that Nick Suzuki is the only right, uh, the only centerman Mm. uh, of NHL caliber right now. He has to play. He did, what, 25 minutes and a half, something like that uh, last night. Of course, he's not going to score and he's not going to have passes because 
he's exhausted. He has to do everything by himself. And if the game was in overtime, it's because Nick Suzuki held everything on his shoulder uh, with, with Mike Madison and with David Sabah, all those guys who played 23, 24 or, or 32 minutes. So that that's, that's where I am right now. If everything goes well, there is a potential, but we're never seeing that if everything goes well in every team and especially in Montreal. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, uh, you know, I've made this joke many, many times, uh, but boys, <laughs> uh, keep your keep your phones by you because if like there's another injury, you know, like we may be the ones getting calls and like Kent Hughes, <laughs> if you're listening, if you're listening right now, Kent Hughes or Jeff Gordon or both of you, um, I don't know how to skate. So please don't call me. That's um, never stopped the Canadians <laughs> from signing anybody before. We were talking about Michael uh, McCarron before the show started. So like... <laughs> Well, so it's funny. Okay, so you, so you jo- you joined midway through that conversation. Uh, the reason why Mike McCarron was brought up, and I'm happy this is a perfect segue because I want to talk about the off season some more. And uh, of course, you can't talk off season without the draft. Is that how different would it be? Because the NFL does this, and and this is what I was saying. Like this, this one of the smartest things among many things that the NFL does is that they hold they open free agency before. The, the draft, which I love because, you know, you, you target guys that you want, like obviously the big market guys are going to go and that, like, then you get the depth guys after later into the off season. But like, imagine the NHL did that. And this is where the conversation was, was that in 2013, when the Canadians drafted Mike McCarron, you know, they, they outright said, this is an organizational need. We need size. We need a big center. And, just like what happened, I don't know who the UFAs were that year. So don't like forget about that. But like, <laughs> let's just say you know they open free agency before uh, before the draft. The Canadians sign a couple guys that are like six two or six three, at like two three four guys. Like, are they still drafting Mike McCarron? I don't know. Like, they're probably not at that point. So the funny part is they drafted Michael McCarron, who is the size of a house. And then later on in the draft, drafted Connor Crisp, who is most known for, one, playing as an emergency goalie and also beating the crap out of people in the OHL. That, in free agency then, later on, before the season started, they signed Douglas Murray. They still had Jared Tenorti in the lineup. And then they also signed George Peros, because that went into the 2013-2014 season. As we all know, George Peros, you know, unceremoniously got himself knocked out on opening night mm-hmm. in a fight with Colt Nor. scary as hell ended his career basically that mm-hmm. season because he got another fight later on I don't it was in an Islanders game and all I remember is he took one punch and he was done Douglas Murray blocked the development of younger defensemen that were trying to come up through the AHL and it wasn't until he was scratched in the playoffs it all depends on the GM that if they open free agency before that do they pick Michael McCarron probably not but all signs seem to indicate that no matter what, after that Senator series where the Canadians were a better team, but just couldn't stay healthy, a, a, a weird trend happening in this organization, I know, <laughs> they were going to go, we we're not going to get bullied around here. They went and tried to be the 2011 Boston Bruins. The only difference is the 2011 Boston Bruins had one of the best defensemen to ever play the game, who just happened to be seven feet tall at the same time. <laughs> I do like the idea of opening free agency before that. But at the same time, I also like the idea of having the draft because now you go, we have this in the future. Now we don't have to spend as many years a term on a free agent and save ourselves some money Mm -hmm. for 
the in-house pieces. I could go either way with that. I'd be interested to see what NHL free agency before the draft would look like because I feel like somehow it would be more chaotic than it already is, but it's also the NHL. I If it happened before the draft, maybe Kyle Ocposo and Carl Alsner and Milan Lucic don't all get those insane contracts that did the one year because the draft is coming up and they don't need it, but NHL GMs are always going to do the most ridiculous thing for the most part just because that's what their nature is, it feels like. The thing about the NHL is if you take other sports, if you take, for example, the the NFL or the NBA, when you draft someone, it's a plug-in, you know? So you you, you can draft by need because you're going to need them on that year. Baseball is on the other side because they have to go through all the minor leagues. So you cannot draft uh, by need because your need your needs are going to change when the kid is going to be in the show. So you you got to just pick the, the the right guy. The NHL is right in the middle because they they don't necessarily come up directly in the mm-hmm. NHL except if maybe they are first or second pick overall. But they don't necessarily take three, four, five, six years to to come to the show. So maybe some GM would still draft based on need. Maybe they would draft based on uh, the, the the best one available. It would depend of the organization. It would depend of the context of the kids available. Um, but you know, I would be really interested to to see the, uh, to see that because we talked about it before the, the show started, and uh, I never made the the, the 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 click in my head that says, you know, you're right. The 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 the, the off season is completely. Uh, reversed on that front because of the the timing of the free agents. All right, so let's. Uh, I mean, it's just an interesting point to you know because like how different it would be, right? Like you would think of all the times, you know, the Canadians just. I remember there was one year they just drafted like five centers, and they were like, "Okay, our organizational depth is now set with all the centers we just drafted. And uh, also, another side note, Scott, that was a crazy... I have to throw you so many props. That was crazy memory to be like, that's the year they signed Douglas Murray. <laughs> like, wow! Like, that that like came out of nowhere. That was crazy. I can't remember why I came downstairs some mornings, but I can sure as hell remember when they signed Douglas Murray to a one-year, $1.1 million contract, and he... <laughs> scored an own goal in game three against the Bruins. And anyways, it's, uh, it'd be more amazing (laughs) if I could, uh, you know, do basic things like math or remember that I need to pick up dog food, uh, after I leave work on a (laughs) given day. So I feel like we all have that, you know, it's like this, it's like the classic saying that my, my parents used to always say to me, uh, growing up because like, I would be on like, this is like, remember the days when we had computer rooms in our houses or like I would be in the computer room and just like looking up different player stats. And like, I'll never forget, like my mom came into the room once and she was like, you know, if you put half the effort or even a quarter of the effort into school or math or science that you do into like looking up player statistics and memorizing this stuff, the amazing things you could achieve. Well, the amazing things I have achieved were on the sick podcast. So take that mom um, but uh no but uh so it's great those those are just those things always amaze me especially like that type of memory i have a friend that has a similar type of memory as you scott especially when it comes to uh montreal canadians things anyways okay it is nhl draft lottery night okay we are gonna do the official 
tankathon. I'm going to do it off screen because I did not prime Samian and Yellow for this. So I'm going to do it on my computer. I'm going to hit the simulator one time, just one time. This is it. This is who the Canadian, where the Canadians will be drafting. So I hope you're ready. I hit the simulator. And uh, good news, everyone. While uh, Columbus remains with the number one pick, as does San Jose with the number two pick, with the Florida Panthers selection, the Montreal Canadiens move up to number three. The reason why we're doing this, so that would, uh, based off Tankathon, uh, you know, the different mock drafts everywhere, that would either be Leo Carlson or Matt K. Beachcock. All right, so you basically two can't-miss guys. The reason why I bring this up is because uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys were on Twitter on Monday night, but boy, oh boy, was there ever a, uh, for the lack of a better term, sorry, Sammy and Yellow, because I know you're not used to Tony swearing because he doesn't like to swear a lot, but the lack of a better term, it was a big shitstorm on Twitter on, uh, on Monday night in, in Hab's Twitter because, um, you know, Brian Wild went on an, on a, a radio network and basically said he has inside sources. A very trusted guy, by the way. You know, he takes a lot of crap about his draft rankings. Always ends up being right. Always. Like, he was right about the Habs drafting Kock and Yemi. He was right about them drafting Slavkovsky. From the beginning, he was on the Slavkovsky train. So this is why it's very trusted and why I feel like it had such an impact that it did. So he didn't name any names, but he said, boy, oh boy, the Canadians better win the draft lottery because people are really going to hate who they draft if they're outside of the top five because they're going to go, quote unquote, off the board because Kent Hughes values size and then it was like that gif of the cat that has the flashback to vietnam as if he was in the war and you know we're getting the days of mike mccarran back in our heads um so is there you know i'm not a huge draft aficionado um i know some of the prospects uh you know on the top end don't really know of the depth is there anyone that you're like that's in the top five or top 10 of rankings that you're like, boy, oh boy, the Canadians better not touch this guy with a 10 foot pole. Because like, I remember in the 2012 draft, I was that way with Mikhail Grigorenko. And I was right. I mean, I would have been right about anyone in the 2012 draft, but let's leave that aside. <laughs> I have two points to that. If for the whole Kent Hughes value size thing, uh, Lane Hudson's five foot eight and had to bring an endocrinologist <laughs> note to the NHL draft combine so before awesome. being picked. Owen Beck is under six feet tall. Philip Mashar is about five ten. Slavkovsky is a large child. I will give him. I will give you yeah. that much. I'm not worried about a size thing here, but if I'm looking at someone in the top ten, talking with other draft experts at, at Locked On Canadians uh, and just at Eyes on the Prize. The name that is in there that I don't want to because of the risk involved is Edward Shala. Um, everyone seems to have the same thing as that. Tons of tantalizing talent, cannot put it all together. And the name that I know every single person is panicking about is Dalibor Dvorsky, the Slovak mm-hmm. center who is currently playing for AIK in Sweden. To assuage some fears on that, he's a lower ceiling, higher floor pick. And that if you are picking him, you are likely getting a guaranteed NHL player. You are not potentially getting the best NHL player, but you are getting one there. But if I there is a name that I am steering clear of inside that top 10 that I do not want them to pick, it is Edward Shala. 
I will still, you know, find my copium when, if that is the pick there, because that is what I have to do. I have to find the silver lining if there is one, but that is the name that is in that top 10 that I'm looking at and going, not, not my pick. I like an Andrew Cristal, uh, Zach Benson, Will Smith inside that top 10. Uh, Dvorsky for me would be a reach, but I could also understand it. But Shala is the name that I'm looking at and going, not my pick. Please, no, thank you. Not, not at seventh, or not in that top ten spot right away. What I want to know is, um, you know, Kent Hughes from the beginning, from uh, from a year and a few months, is here. He always said that uh, that he values um, <clears throat> that he values speed, that he values talent uh, to to make a, a modern NHL team. He never really talked about size, so did he change his mind? Uh, I don't know, and I really want to know what is his strategy going to be, depending, obviously, where he picks, but if he also gets another first-round pick, because we know he said openly that he wanted to get that third first-round pick. Let's say that he trades a guy like Joel Edmondson if he has a good end of the season and he finds a first-round pick before the, the night before the pick. Does it change the, the idea? Does he want to, um, to have a, a, a bigger ability to, to reach because he has that safety net as a first-round pick? It may affect um, the, um, the, the draft for the Canadians because we saw it happen uh, in 2022 when he drafted a guy Uh, like Lane Hudson uh, with the fourth pick, his, his fourth selection, it was a, a second round pick. So maybe it can change the, the dynamic right here. But I think the, 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 the number of picks could, could change the idea of, uh, of Kent Hughes here. I'm glad you mentioned that because when they picked Slavkovsky, it was considered a risk. Mashar was considered a risk. And then they drafted like the safest possible option in Owen Beck. But having multiple cracks at the baseball gives you more opportunities to get it right. And that's why I'm glad they're not spending picks to take on bad contracts or to get rid of other things. They're keeping their war chest here to give themselves the opportunity here. Is that, okay, let's say they miss on Florida Panthers pick, but their next second round pick or another one, if they make another trade hits, it washes out in the end of there. You're still getting quality talent out of that. And that's why, and I advocate for this, is you do not trade your first round picks, unless you're guaranteed that you're going to be going for it. Like you're going to win a Stanley cup. Like Tampa doesn't have first round picks, but who cares? They won. They went to three straight Stanley cups for a reason. Montreal is not there. You should load up on as many potential hits as you can before doing mm -hmm. anything else in that, especially because like we said, you're not going to be competing next year, maybe two years down the road. You still have time to develop and build these prospects up. So my, my thing, I, and like, I completely agree with you. Like, you know, you want to have multiple cracks at the bat, but like, it's, it's so hard to, to justify, like, you know, let's say, let's say Slavkovsky flops, Meshar flops and Owen Beck flops. And then Lane Hudson's a hit. That's that like in normal circumstances, you know, if Slavkovsky was picked, you know, 14th overall, what are you going to do? You know, but like happens all the time, but like that, man, that stings when it's like top 10, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, that's a real stinger. Even if like Lane Hudson ends up being a Norris winning, uh, Norris caliber, uh, winning, uh, defenseman, like that's got a sting that like you missed because yeah, you have Lane Hudson. That's great. But you also could have had 
you know, player X, you know, that, that, that's, that's my problem with like, you know, no problem taking the risk at, at the top, near the top of the draft board, but boy, oh boy, like that, you better know something that, that people don't know because like that, that could set, like, we are already saying like, you know, like you look at Toronto, the reason why Toronto is like the team that they are now, it, it, it's not like, forget that math. They won a lottery and they got Matthews. Like Marner was a fourth overall pick. Uh, Morgan Riley was a fifth overall pick. It, you know, well now they traded away to Rasmus Sandin. So that, that goes out the window, but like they hit on those and you got to hit on those top 10, top five picks, which is really like the apprehension that a lot of people have because the last Obviously, we know we've heard it ad nauseum that the last few were Galchenyuk and uh, Kakanyemi. So, like, you know, I, I'm all for taking the risk, uh, you know, but uh, the difference is, is I'm a fantasy GM, you know, so I'll go boom or bust in my fantasy, my fantasy football team going boom or bust in, uh, you know, in the in the NHL draft when you're the head of a you're making the decisions on a billion dollar organization and, yep. you know, you're going to have pitchforks after you if they're not if you didn't hit on them. That's got to take a, a big set of uh, a set of big ones because, yeah, that's just uh Yikes. I don't even want to think of what would happen if the Canadians whiffed on uh, this pick. And potentially that means two because they got two. But, uh, Shal, I want to break something up that you brought up, uh, which is that third first-round pick. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are just, like, throwing that away because it didn't happen and the disappointing uh, trade deadline that the Canadians had. I don't know. I think just like last year, I know the draft was in Montreal and it was his first draft here. So he had to make a bit of a splash. I feel like Kent Hughes has an ace up his sleeve. Uh, I, I feel like he's still got his eyes set on that fir third first, first round pick. And, you know, will that be Joel Edmondson? Maybe. Will that be, you know, if you want to be higher up in the draft, will that be Josh Anderson? Also, maybe, you know, I, I just, I feel like, you know, because the trade deadline passed, he didn't get that third first round pick. The Canadians didn't do anything except for pick up Frédéric Allard. You know, everyone's kind of forgetting about that. I don't know. I think uh, I think there might be a little something, something there. You know, we knew that the, the trade deadline was going to be quiet. And when you look at that, uh, of course, there is Sean Monahan, which is the exception to what I'm going to say, because he's going to be a free agent. But beside of that, the all the, the the things that were on on Kent Hughes' office, they they could wait. You know, yes, there were a guy like uh, Jonathan Drouin, but we knew he was not going to be traded. But all the guys that were on the market, they can be traded in a few months. And the the, the Canadians kept a, a salary retention, so they they have flexibility to to move at the the draft. I don't know if it's going to happen because a lot of things could uh, could impact that until the end of the season, the health of the guy first, the market in a few months. But there is still a possibility that, yeah, you can add uh, another uh, first round pick. Maybe you can have a second round pick, which is not uh, as, prestigi as prestigious as a, a first round pick, but still valuable because you can draft a Noah Beck or you can draft a Lane Hudson. Uh, so I guess we're just going to have to to wait until the end of the season and we'll see uh, after the lottery, after the, the Stanley Cup is lifted. And then we're going to have a, a better picture of what the NHL is going to look like next year. We're going to have an idea of the salary cap because it's going to have an impact, too. So there are a lot of uh, of impact that needs to be uh, to be set up for uh, for next year. Yeah, I and I think that's exactly right. Is that Edmondson is the biggest name that people are looking at going. He's definitely going to go. 
it makes the most sense in that situation. You're right. I I do think he, Ken Hughes has something cooking here because he mentioned that there's still time because teams also want to see these guys play. We're, they're not asking Joel Edmondson to go and put up, you know, Norris Trophy offensive numbers. That's not his game. Can he be healthy? Can he be that leader? Because then when they trade him this offseason, if that is before uh, the draft or even before free agency, in free agency, whatever, and get a 2024 pick, they're getting a long-term rental. They're not getting two months. They're getting a, a season's worth of this player, and the value is higher. Yeah, Kent Hughes probably could have traded Joel Edmondson for like a second-round pick and a prospect, maybe, at the deadline this year. Holding on to him, if Edmondson stays healthy, he gets increased the value there. Is Something is cooking. I don't know what it is. I think a lot's going to depend on where Florida's pick is mm-hmm. because can he go and get a – a top end, you know, young player. Can he pull off a Kirby doc trade for a second year in a row and find another player like that? It's like, okay, I'm going to move this pick. And at the same time, I'm going to still improve my roster here. I'm going to move Joel Edmondson in this pick and get this first round pick and this player. He's shown a willingness to do that. And part of being a good GM is knowing when to be aggressive. The Romanov trade was initially booed. Uh, I was in the building for that Uh, to say that it was a very shocked surprise. And then they went, they traded those picks and got Kirby doc. Everyone went, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't put it past Hughes to do something similar this year. I think he's going to be active in that because through his agent connections, he probably knows what players don't want to be where they're at, who wants a fresh start. And if you can't get a third first round pick, screw it go get a former first round pick who wants a cha- who needs a change of scenery and is maybe a couple years older sure he might be not 18 years old and he's in that window now but that still fits the canadians timeline as long as he's you know 22 21 and under he still fits what the canadians need and yeah not a first round pick again but at the same time still just as good potentially i don't know maybe that's just me wishful thinking this a little bit you are you ready and for seriously this? you ready for this you you have to think uh of the fact that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be a subject because ah, you said it I wanted to say it I had oh, three letters man. For you. I was gonna uh. say I got three letters for you PLD <laughs> I, but I, I I mean yeah like out of everyone out there it makes the most sense but here's the thing is they win the draft lottery this year god forbid if they do and they get Connor Bedard. The question then becomes, you have Nick Suzuki. You have mm-hmm. Kirby Doc. You will have Connor Bedard. You will have yep. Owen Beck. You will have other guys coming up through the system. Where do you fit Pierre-Luc Dubois in there then without <laughs> moving someone else to the wing? Like, we know Kirby Doc can play center. We know Nick Suzuki can play center. Maybe Owen Beck starts on the wing, but he's likely going to be an NHL center here. Yep. Connor, you're not moving Connor Bedard out of his position at a first overall pick. You'd be out of your damn mind to do that. It, it is a fun, it, it is the one thing I've been chasing. I've given up hope on it because I've been burned by Yarmir Yager is definitely going to be a Montreal Canadian <laughs> this year, six years in a row. Yeah. It, when it happens, it, if Pierre-Luc Dubois, and you can quote this, clip this or whatever, if Pierre-Luc Dubois becomes a Montreal Canadian this summer, I will eat a hat on a live stream because that Sammy is the kind of... Sammy I, and Yellow, get the clip. Get the I, clip. 
I will I will eat a hat on a stream if Pierre Luc Dubois. And when I say this summer, I mean before train before training camp begins, NHL training camp. Right, right. No, for sure. I will give that, that time frame for that. Well, okay. First of all, that's a huge timeline. You gave me so I don't know. I don't know. We see Kent Hughes is able to make a splash and make a value deal. All I'm gonna say, like, listen. Well, again, it's going to be interesting because you know, like, what can you? what can you give or how do you play the situation of like he's openly or half openly said he wants to be a part of the Canadians, you know, he's a restricted free agent. Like what are his restricted free agent rights at that point? You know, like what are, what are the, what are those worth? Because he, you know, he's not going to sign a long-term deal. If Winnipeg sees little or no success in the playoffs this year, you know, that, um, and if you're going to sign him to a one or two year deal, you're probably going to end up losing him for way more than whatever you could get for him this summer. So I don't know. I think that's uh, I think that's a bit a pretty bold, uh, pretty bold bet of you to make Scott to eat a hat. Uh, if, uh, if they, if that he gets, gets moved to the Canadians, because I think it's well within the realm of possibilities. I just look at this and I go one, it, it kind of, the Patrick Kane situation kind of laid things out a little bit here is that I only want to go here. We now know that he only wants to go to one place. The value there is in the toilet. Yeah. It's still, he's still got value mind you, but now he's on what his, was this the second team now that he's kind of just been like, eh, well, I don't really feel it here. Move me yeah. out of here. Are, is that going to be a big bidding piece? How much of a contract is he going to want? Can Montreal afford a $6 million contract? Because that's what he's at now. He's probably going to want more money. He's probably worth more money than that as a center. I also look at the Jets as a team that are very much teetering on the precipice of just complete and total collapse. Oh, yeah. But, like they're, yeah. the def- they're, they can't figure out what they are. They have an elite goaltender who's given up like 22 goals in his last four starts because the defense in front of him, not very good on some given nights, despite Josh Morrissey having a Norris caliber year. Their star players, Blake Wheeler, aging. Kyle Connor, very good, not a defensive wizard. Mark Shifley, who's now 29. When did that happen? Not exactly the most defensively well-known guy. They have Nikolai Ehlers, who for some reason they keeps getting put on the fourth line for games. And if there was someone I want to take from Winnipeg, it's not Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's Nikolai Ehlers, mind mm-hmm. you. And then just their prospect crop behind that, Cole Perfetti's out injured right now. They're missing some pieces, and they're a team that, if Ken Hughes is smart, can you turn Josh Anderson and like a Riley Kidney into Pierre-Luc Dubois without giving up draft picks? I know people are going to yell because Riley Kidney's lighting the QMJHL on fire, but Winnipeg's in a precarious spot where they want to extend that window. Josh Anderson is the kind of guy that you sell an old school team on extending a window with. And I, I think that they could do that. Um, his rights are going to be weird though. Cause if everyone knows he wants to go to Montreal, he might be considered, you know, like a diva or whatever because of how he wants to get there. But he's still, you know, a, a very good NHL player. And there's a lot of value in that. Montreal knows he only wants to come here. Winnipeg knows he only wants to go here. Where does the negotiation meet there for a fair price as a guy with arbitration rights? Because if it goes to arbitration, right. it's going to be ugly. It never, no one never comes out of that feeling better at the end of the thing at all. 
Well, you know, I, I, I want to see where, where it's going to go. Right. Because he, as you said, even we all know he wants to go to Montreal and Pat Brisson, his agent, he, he said it on television. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty clear. Um, even if you, the Jets want, wants to, 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 to trade him to another team, that other team is going to have the same concern saying, am I going to have this guy just for one year? If so, Uh, maybe I still want him, but I'm not going to pay the same price that if I'm sure that, that I can lock him up for, uh, for the better years of, of his career. So obviously, it's going to be a concern. And I'm pretty sure that the, the Jets are going to look to, to trade him because Winnipeg, uh, spoiler alert, is not the best destination for free agents. So they, <laughs> they want to, to get their value for their guys. And if they have the feeling that the team is collapsing and they're going to lose Pierre-Luc Dubois to the free agency a year uh, after that, they're going to try to trade him. And of course, who are they going to call first? Probably can't use in five, uh, 514 because they know that uh, the, the, the chances that him getting there are increasingly big at the moment. So why not try to Uh, to 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 move that timeline and to trade him to Montreal right now. So that that it's going to be very very interesting and it's going to change the summer of the the, the Canadians because they're going to be uh, on uh, on the market for Pierre Dubois. That that's for sure. I'm not sure it's going to happen. I hope it does for two reasons. One is going to be in Montreal and two I want to see that live stream. <laughs> But <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to see, right? Yeah, I want to see uh flame grilled Uh, you know, barbecue dipped hat served <laughs> on a nice platter. Are you going to cut it up into pieces? Or are you just going to attack it like a chicken wing? I don't know. That's I'll leave it up to you because we're going to do it. We're going to manifest. We're going to manifest Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal. It's going to be Florida's first round pick. Should it not be a lottery pick? And, you know, maybe two of the A-level prospects. That's what it's going to be. I'm telling you, it's that's what it's going to be. Maybe, you know, throw in, uh, I don't know why they would want Joel Edmondson, because, you know, if you, like you guys, he's, like from, the, said, he's from the province. That's why. Well, I that's mean, why they want I him. Mean, here's the thing, though. If you're throwing in, you know, if you're throwing in the towel on Pierre-Luc Dubois, you're kind of basically waving the white flag saying, you know, like you, like you said, they're teetering on the edge of a collapse. You know, you, you just you just toppled the whole thing over if you trade Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's such an integral part of that team. And that's the big part is how does their playoff run go? Do they make a push where they go, okay, we can win with this core with even as limited as that window is, can we make that push? If they go into the first round and they just get, or if they don't even make the playoffs or like they have one win in like their last eight games. Like if they don't even make the playoffs, forget about it. That's just, Every that that's going to get blown up completely in the mm -hmm. offseason. But if they make it in and they make some noise there, and especially if Pierre-Luc Dubois plays well, everything always cha winning changes everything. But if they go in there and they like they should have beaten the Canadians, all things considered, probably in that bubble series. Toronto should have beaten them in the in that too. And they didn't. They didn't even come mm -hmm. close. They should have blown it up then because clearly it wasn't working. And then they had that offseason where they stripped Blake Wheeler and everyone's unhappy. And Paul Maurice just quits midseason, which was long overdue anyways. Winning fixes a lot of things. They go in the playoffs and they make a deep push. I think that increases the odds that Pierre-Luc Dubois stays, even if it's like for another two years. And then we get to do this again in two years. Again, minus the hat eating potentially. But if they go in that first round and they play <laughs> – whoever the hell, you know, one of the top teams in the West, it doesn't matter because the East is winning the cup anyways. And they just get blown up in four to five games. Forget it. No, anyone who's a UFA or wants to leave is going to go. And that's well, going to change so much. 
I mean, listen, th- this is a team who I just, I just ran the numbers. Uh, I, you know, they, cause I knew this stat. I just didn't know how many games they had played. Um, they've played 13 games since February 11th. I, I believe that was either their, was that the all-star break or yeah, that must've been the all-star break was at the end of January plus a bye week That makes sense. Uh, they've played 13 games since the beginning of February. Their game started on their first game back from January to February it was February 11th. They've won four. Um, so coming up next, they have, you know, some tough teams. They got, you know, they got Florida who's making a push. Now they have Tampa, they have Carolina, then they have Boston. Things don't get any easier for this Winnipeg team. So, you know, like if I'm a Canadians fan, I'm hoping for this thing to go up in flames because if it goes up in flames, Pierre-Luc Dubois is the first domino of many to fall. And that is a, you know, it seems like he's very old because, you know, he's, he's been around it's he's on his second team, as he said, guy's 24 24 years old a quebec born centerman that is huge can score he's basically josh anderson from montreal if josh anderson was a center what more could you want um anyways that's all the time we got uh you know we'll we'll discuss the logistics of hat eating of the hat eating parameters <laughs> at a later date but uh i thank you guys uh i want to thank uh you scott and i want to thank you shall for joining me on this friday night as you guys usually do every so often uh seriously thank you for having me so much uh if you enjoyed my brand of insanity on this podcast <laughs> Uh, you can check me out every single day, Monday through Friday at Lockdown Canadians. Uh, we are on YouTube and wherever you find your podcast at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. And if you want to read my insanity in written form, uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize at Habs EOTP. I do a tank rating for every single game on the back half of this season now because uh, that's what the people were clamoring for, whether they knew it or not. So uh, as always, thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> And if you want to read the same insanity, but in French, you can go on this.com <laughs> uh, or you can listen to me at BPM Spa. So thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you guys for joining us. Have yourselves a fantastic rest of the weekend or beginning of the weekend uh, or however you may see it. Thank you very much. All right. That was uh, Scott and Charles, two of my favorite guests to have on. I like it. They're getting more comfortable with me. They're, getting, they're letting the crazy side out. That's what I like. I like the crazy side in people. Uh, thank you guys for uh, joining us. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, follow us there. Give us a like. Uh, comment sick if you enjoyed the episode and uh, like I said I won't be back next week but I will be back in a few uh, to talk more Habs and bring more interesting discussion and debate so until the next time have a good weekend and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube Instagram Facebook Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature.